Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, last week we, um, last Tuesday, we looked at the Kula Dukkha Kanda Sutta, the Lesser Discourse on Dukkha. And so, of course, Dukkha is the central theme of the Buddha's Dhamma. The Buddha teaches that understanding Four Noble Truths is developed through understanding our own contributions to Dukkha. Uh, in a very broad sense, Dukkha means stress. But any, any disturbance in the mind is an aspect of Dukkha. Um, so another way of saying that any, um, any reaction in the mind is an aspect of dukkha. And so that related um, the manifestations of dukkha in the world are seen as greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. In other words, if we, are, we find ourselves subject to these three defilements, we know that we are acting out of ignorance of these four noble truths. In the Maha Dukkha Kanda Sutta, um, we're looking at dukkha in relation to the common need for sensual fulfillment and sensual satisfaction as opposed to simply being sensitive. So the Buddha teaches that the, the uh, in this sutta and many others, the allure and the drawback of, of sensual indulgence and that is the, the primary aspect of eye-making is always getting what I want or avoiding what I don't want and thinking that that is the game of life and that conclusion is, is deluded thinking that life is all about what I get and what I can avoid uh, to maintain my happiness, rather than understanding the, um, the preciousness of the human experience without wanting something to be different. Because it, as soon as I want this moment to be different, I've lost, in a, not my physical life, but I've lost this moment, so I've lost my life in this moment. So the Buddha concern was, why was he so distracted by the events of his life? And how could he understand that process? And is it possible to not take things personal? And so he came to the understanding that it is utterly human to be in the world and have all the, the entire scope of human experience and that we could do that without taking any of that personal. And how do we do that? Through understanding the allure and the drawback of giving in to our sensual desires. So the greater discourse on dukkha, and uh, it's a we may do this in two parts, and me and Ram will figure out how to do that. Um, in other words, I might Ram is scheduled to teach the concluding sutta, the dukkha sutta, on Tuesday, and it might be more <clears> coherent <throat> if if I just teach the second half next Saturday. But we'll talk about that, and it'll be in the email. So the Maha Dukkha Kanda Sutta. <clears throat> On one occasion, the Buddha was staying at Savati in Jita's Grove, Anatha Pandika's monastery. Early in the morning, a group of disciples adjusted their robes and carrying their bowls, left for Savati for alms. If anybody doesn't understand alms, just ask me. They quickly realized that it was too early for alms and decided to visit a group of wanderers from another sect. So that, to me, that's an important line anyway, that they, they understood the importance of keeping their Dhamma pure, and they had a, a well-informed and well-focused Sangha, but they also went out into the world. They engaged other people in the world. They weren't 
Um, they weren't trying to hide behind an ideology. In fact, they saw being out in the world as an opportunity to share the Dhamma when it was appropriate. They exchanged courteous greetings and sat to one side. The wanderers from the other sect, and these were Nagantas, the, uh, part of the Jain sect, wanderers from the other sect questioned the group from the Buddha Sangha. Friends, Gautama the Contemplative describes understanding sensuality as we do. In other words, they're trying to say they have the, basically the same practice. Gotama describes understanding forms, as we do. Gotama describes understanding feelings, as we do. Friends, what is the difference, the distinguishing factor between his teaching and ours? And even to this day, many people consider the Jain religion just an aspect of Buddhism, which of course it's not. It's, it's very different in its conclusions. The Buddha's disciples, neither delighting nor disapproving of these words, they were simply present for them, decided to seek out their teacher and hear his words. They went for alms and then returned to the Buddha. They bowed to their teacher and sat to one side and told him what the wanderers of the other sects said. The Buddha replied, Friends, when wanderers of other sects say this, you should ask, what is the allure, the drawback, and the release with regards to sensuality? What is the allure, the drawback, and the release with regards to forms, having this, identifying as this is me? What is the allure, the drawback, and the release with regards to feelings? When asked, these wanderers of other sects will be in trouble and not be able to provide a, a reasonable answer. This understanding is beyond their knowledge. So he's directing um, his sangha, to, excuse me, to understand the difference between what he's teaching, what they are practicing, and what those of other sects are practicing is the core difference. In other words, they understand that these things arise in the world, but their practice encourages them to, um, uh, to indulge in sensual fulfillment and try and understand what happens when you get lost in that, when you get, when you get entangled in the world, rather than recognizing that it is that intellectual pursuit that gets you caught up into the world. It's the eye-making that's rooted in that intellectual pursuit. When asked, these wanderers of other sects will be in trouble and not be able to provide a reasonable answer. The understanding is beyond their knowledge. It's beyond their knowledge because they're looking in the wrong direction, correct? Remember noble and ignoble searches. Friends, in the world of fabricated divas, maras, and brahmins, brahmas, of contemplatives and brahmins, meaning local priests, royalty and commoners, I do not see anyone who can answer these questions aside from myself, my disciples, or someone who learned my dhamma from a skillful disciple. So he's, he's throwing cold water on the notion that there's something outside of ourselves, meaning that uh, your belief in divas or external uh, non-physical beings or non-physical realms, or the, uh, the religious masters that the Buddha studied with and understood during his time, or even the common beliefs that everybody are maintaining. There was ideologies that were motivating society during the Buddhist time, of course. And he was saying all of that is rooted in the drawback of sensuality. This section is called <clears throat> Understanding the Allure, the Drawback, and the Release of Clinging to Sensuality. So the Buddha is going to describe what happens and how to get out of it, how to extricate ourselves um, once we've entangled ourselves into the world. And again, we, as human beings, we entangle ourselves in the world because of the, the manifestations of greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, 
all rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Now, what is the allure of sensuality? There are five clinging fabrications of sensuality. A little bit different than the five clinging aggregates. This relates to the senses. Form is interpreted by the eyes as agreeable, pleasing, endearing, and enticing. So as soon as I start judging something in that way, as it, it, it's here in the world to give me pleasure, I'm getting in trouble. The same applies to the other senses. Sounds interpreted by the ears as agreeable, pleasing, endearing, and enticing. Now remember, this is not an awakened, fully mature human being the Buddha is describing. He's describing someone who is caught up in the world due to sensuality. A sensitive person still would have these experiences without taking it personal. The Buddha teaches us how to be a human being without falling into the denial of self-loathing that would transfer into greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, or rooted in deluded thinking. Aroma is interpreted by the nose as agreeable, pleasing, endearing, and enticing. Flavor is interpreted by the tongue as agreeable, pleasing, endearing, and enticing. And tactile sensations interpreted by the body as agreeable, pleasing, endearing, and enticing. The Buddha continues, Friends, whatever pleasure or happiness that one depends on establishing through any of these five senses is the allure of sensuality. Why is that so? Because the senses are attaching to something that is inherently impermanent and always subject to change. And when we do that, we are creating stress in our lives. These are the stressors. Birth is stressful. As a consequence of having a human life, there will be stress. Sickness, aging, and death is stressful. Not getting what we want, getting what we do not want. Greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. And then Buddha would always conclude that statement by saying, in short, the five clinging aggregates are suffering. The five clinging aggregates are the personal vehicle for ongoing suffering. The five clinging aggregates are the personal vehicle of ignorance of four noble truths. Now, what is the drawback of sensuality, the Buddha asks? Here is an example. When one's occupation, whether accounting or plowing, whether uh, trading goods or attending to cattle, whether archer or attending a king, whatever one's occupation, they are subject to changing weather, to harassment by insects, to dying from thirst and hunger, and the whole mass of suffering. The Buddha is saying no matter what you identify with as your position in life, if you identify with it, there will be suffering. Because the consequence of humanity, of, of, of living in this world, weather, insects, greed, are going to affect you. This drawback of sensuality, the mass of stress and suffering that is visible here and now, right here and right now is where it's occurring, has sensuality as its source and its establishment. If my mind is disturbed in this moment, it's because of sensuality. Sensuality is at the source and its establishment. The need for constant sensual fulfillment, sensual satisfaction. I want what I want in this moment. Now, if a person gains little while striving and making effort, they will be sorrowful and regretful. They will grieve and become distraught. They will be thinking, all of my efforts have been useless and fruitless. Excuse me. And they would miss the, the fact that they've just had a moment or maybe years of their lifetime that they now have decided they don't want. They don't want it to be a part of their lives. They've discounted who and what they are because of their own self-loathing. Because whatever they were experiencing 
wasn't enough. This is also a drawback of sensuality, this massive stress and suffering that is visible here and now has sensuality as its source and its establishment. Simply put, the drawback is sensuality. So, again, the Buddha is saying, whatever you're distressed about, the drawback is sensuality, as opposed to sensitivity. Sensitivity is rooted in refined mindfulness. Sensuality, or the constant need for sensual fulfillment, is rooted in mindlessness. The Buddha continues, if a person gains wealth while striving and making effort, excuse me for twitching around a little bit, and making effort, they will experience distress protecting their wealth. How can I keep my wealth from kings and thieves? How will I protect my wealth from from fire or floods? How will I protect my wealth from greedy heirs? Remember this from the Kula Sakakasi, the same concern. Even as they protect their wealth, kings and thieves make, make, make off with it. Fire and floods destroy it, and greedy heirs make off with it. They then will be sorrowful and regretful because of clinging to what was lost. They will grieve and become distraught. What was once mine is gone. Self-identification. This drawback of sensuality, this mass of stress and suffering that is visible here and now, has sensuality as its source and its establishment. Simply put, the drawback is sensuality. It is, in parentheses, my parentheses, it is, in parentheses, preoccupation with sensuality as the reason, the source, the cause that kings quarrel with kings, nobles quarrel with nor- nobles, Brahmins with Brahmins, householders with householders, parents with children, children with pra- parents, children with siblings, and friends with friends. <clears throat> Again, the Buddha is describing the world 2,600 years ago, not much different than our world today, is it? In fact, I would say not different at all. When conf- when conflicted, they will attack each other with fists or sticks or clubs or knives. And they incur extreme pain or death. The Buddha's remarking on something that he's looked out on the world and people, even during his time, did not want to acknowledge that they did not know how to get along with each other. And again, is it, the reason why I say that awakening is best described as full human maturity you would think that mature human beings would not quarrel with each other. They would understand how foolish it is instantly. And I think you've probably heard me say, the first time we looked out of our caves or our grass huts and saw one human being hurt another human being, we would have realized that's not something we want to do. But we haven't figured out that one thing. How do we stop attacking each other? And why do we do it? The Buddha figured it out. It's because greed, aversion, and del- rooted in deluded thinking. I want this person that I need to attack to be different, or I wouldn't need to attack them, would they? Or the world needs me to be different, and so they attack me in some way. All of it rooted in ignorance. And so that understanding is what brings peace to my mind and our mind. Because we understand that we do it to ourselves and we do it to others, and we can stop that. We're in control of it. We also understand that other people may not be able to control it because they're rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. Not because they're evil, not because they're the wrong party, not because of anything. They simply don't understand. And through that understanding, we can generate true empathy without being entangled in the world, without needing it to be any different. And that's where peace comes from. And imagine if we could do that one thing. Just simply understand, why do I, why do I have to fight with you? Why do I need to get my way? 
Why am I such a baby? Because I don't know how to grow up. And that's what the Buddha teaches. Here again, here again is the drawback of sensuality. This mass of stress and suffering that is visible here and now, that has sensuality as its source and its establishment, simply put, the drawback is sensuality. It is preoccupation with sensuality as the reason, the source, the cause, that human beings wear armor. And it's, again, it's, the, it's both the practical <clears throat> experience of how we live in the world, but also how we armor ourselves. We live in fear of each other. And again, look what's going on in the world right now. We haven't figured it out yet. The human beings wear armor and use swords, spears, and arrows while charging in formation into battle with other human beings. We group ourselves together through ideology and now fight other groups. The Buddha is describing how wars arise in the world. With spears and arrows flying, with swords flashing, they are wounded, their heads cut off, and, and I'm sorry, ensuring extreme pain and death. Here again is the drawback of sensuality. So it's not just grasping after another piece of cake that's the drawback of sensuality. It's what it leads to in the human psyche. This mass of stress and suffering that is visible here and now has sensuality as its source and its establishment. Simply put, the drawback is sensuality. Friends, it is preoccupation with sensuality as the reason, the source, the cause that human beings take what is not theirs, ambush others, commit adultery, and when caught, kings have them tortured for their misdeeds. It doesn't take too much imagination to extrapolate that to what goes on in social media and what you could say heads of social media are now the kings. Listen to it again. Sensuality is the reason, the source, the cause that human beings take what is not theirs, ambush others, commit adultery, and when caught, kings have them tortured for their misdeeds. They are flogged and beaten with clubs, their hands and feet cut off, their ears and noses too. They are subject to many indignities and deprivations. So nowadays, it's not so much physical. We don't go around cutting each other's hands off all the time. We just use social media to do the same thing, to commit the same violence on each other. One of the the most... I don't know how to describe it. disturbing and adamic understanding suffering sense of all the girls that are committing suicide because of being shamed on social media. Again, that should happen once. And as human beings, we should be sensitive enough to say we need to do something, even if it's just that one thing. And we don't. We don't do anything about it. We just, because it's so part of our psyche of attacking each other's, we'll recognize, we'll say, ah, that's a terrible thing that's happened and move into the next ridiculous moment. Here again is the drawback of sensuality. And again, I'm not trying to beat the whole world up and make, you know, make this a miserable class, but to point out what happens to us as human beings when we, when we don't do this, when we don't understand. This massive stress and suffering that is visible here and now has sensuality as its source and its establishment. Simply put, the drawback is sensuality. Friends, it is preoccupation with sensuality as the reason, the source, the cause that human beings engage in bodily, verbal, and mental misconduct. Having lived their lives as such, upon death and the breakup of the body, there is only continued depra- deprivation. So you've lived your whole life rooted in ignorance, 
and you've left nothing. Again, the Buddha's making a point about awakening, not in general, but you've left a life of deprivation behind. What is the Buddha saying? It's a really heavy thing to say, isn't it? And, and almost accusatory. But he's simply saying that if you don't want to do that with your life, wake up. That, you know, there's a modern saying is, don't be a part of the problem, be part of the solution. But the only solution that I've ever seen that actually can bring what people want is this. Because we cannot hope to end conflict in the world until we end conflict in our minds. And once we end conflict in our minds, the conflict in the world no longer affects us. That doesn't mean that we're not sensitive to it. We just don't sensually, get sensually involved in it or entangled in it. Here again is the drawback of sensuality, this mass of stress and suffering that is now only continued deprivation and has sensuality as its source and its establishment. Simply put, the drawback is sensuality. So there's two references there. Once, you've left the world not a better place because you haven't done anything to... Remember how this... this that we can now teach others if we understand this. Buddha started this sutta. And we've also tacitly encouraged this to continue. We've left that trail of deprivation in the world. Who, do, who didn't do that historically? The Buddha. And then he taught others how not to do that, how not to live a life that is rooted in deprivation and upon breakup of the body is only deprivation. It's only continued deprivation. The Buddha's not talking about a future life that you're now going to be suffering. I mean, think about the context. He's talking about a human life. And what, friends, is the release from sensuality? The subduing of passion for sensuality, the subduing of craving for sensuality, the abandoning of passion for sensuality, the abandoning of craving for sensuality. This is the release from sensuality. Friends, I say to you, any contemplatives or Brahmins who, Brahmins who do not understand sensuality as it truly is, who do not understand the allure as allure, who do not understand the drawback as drawback, as opposed to indulging it, analyzing it, trying to figure out how to justify it, the allure who do not understand the drawback as a drawback, just because it's in the world doesn't mean it has to be mine. And as soon as I make it mine, that is the drawback, clinging. Those who do not understand the release from sensuality as release, we have to experience it or we can't understand it. We have to be present for it. They could only understand sensuality or, or rouse in others in accordance with what they believe. Rouse in others. Look at what's going on in the world today. With what they believe and what they practice. It is impossible for them to understand sensuality as sensuality. The, the most pro predominant form of so-called Buddhism is engaged Buddhism today. What is engaged Buddhism? It's telling the world how, what it needs to change rather than understanding their own conflict. But friends, I say to you, any contemplatives or Brahmins who do not understand sensuality as it truly is, who understand the allure as allure, who understand the drawback as a drawback, who understand the release from sensuality as release, would themselves understand sensuality and rouse in others in accordance with what they believe and what they practice. We can't help but influence each other about what we hold in mind. It is now possible for them to understand sensuality as sensuality. Um, 
Yeah, we're gonna go on. Wait, this is I'm going to continue. This next section is called Understanding the Allure, the Drawback, and the Release of Clinging to Form. Now, friends, what is the allure of form? Suppose a young woman of 15 or 16 years old, neither tall or short, thin or plump, or too, too dark or too pale. Is this when her charm is greatest? This is so interesting. Yes, great teacher. Then it follows that whatever pleasure and happiness that is dependent on, on clinging to her present her present state is the allure of self-identifying with form. He's talking about being enamored with your youth, with that form. And what is the drawback of the form? This very woman, now 80 or 90, or 100 years old, bent, needing a cane, trembling, trembling, miserable, gray-haired, perhaps even bald, Wrinkled, now ill in pain, lying in her own filth. Later still, one may see her as a corpse, rotting away, bloated, oozing. Later still, one may see her corpse being picked at by crows and vultures, a heap of bones. So again, not to bring the class down, but it is important that we recognize. What are we so enamored with? What do you think? Has her earlier charm vanished and a drawback appeared? What do you think? It's part of having a human life. It's part of birth, part of sickness, part of aging, part of death. We do not have to take it personal. So the drawback was always there? The drawback is always there as long as I have a, a, a precondition on my life. That I stay a, a beautiful, wonderful 15 or 16 or 26 year old. Or a 66 year old clinging to not to not having the effects of getting older. It's the same thing. You know, at some point we have to, well, at some point we wake up to what it means to be a human being, or not. I'm going to say we have to, we don't have to. People, I mean, the the whole point of having a human life is we have the liberty and freedom to do anything we want, and we can exercise that in a much more skillful way if we understand what it means to be a human being. So their response to that was, yes, great teacher. The Buddha then says, this is the drawback of self-identifying with form. And what is the release from self-identifying with form? The subduing of passion for form, eye-making. The subduing of craving for form, continued eye-making. The abandoning of passion for form, Dhamma practice. The abandoning of craving for form, Dhamma practice. This is the release from form. So again, the Buddha is the one teacher that I've ever come across that, describe, that describes the difficulties of, of what it means to be a human being and how to change it. Not how to change the world. It's so important. It's the only so-called religion that isn't based on salvation. It's based on understanding. What is there to save? Save my own mind. What, what animates the world? People's minds. What would be going on in the world right now? without people in it. Nobody knows because there's nobody there to know. The world is animated by the people in it. And it's up to us how we're going to animate the world. But I can animate my world in a peaceful way. I can root it in understanding. Understanding my own ignorance of these four noble truths. That as a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be stress. 
But there's also going to be the other 99% of life. And if I abandon my own self-loathing, I can live in that and understand that it's here and it's present, here and now, as the Buddha says. Friends, I say to you, any contemplatives or Brahmins who do not understand form as it truly is, who do not understand the allure as allure, my eye-making is the allure of my life, isn't it? Who do not understand the drawback of that allure, who do not understand the release from form as release, release from, uh, from continued eye-making, who can only understand form or rouse in others in accordance with what they believe and what they practice. Again, look what's going on in the world today. It is impossible for them to understand form as form, understand the physical world we live in. This, this <clears throat> reference point to the physical world and then its place in the larger world. But friends, I say to you, any contemplatives or Brahmins who do not understand form as it truly is, who understand the allure as allure, who understand the drawback as drawback, who understand the release from sensuality as release, would themselves understand form and rouse in others in accordance with what they believe and what they practice. So I can continue to rouse in others, excuse me. I can continue to rouse in others ignorance, if that's how I live my life, a continued ignorance of four noble truths, or I can rouse in others understanding. It, it just depends on what, what I'm holding in mind, what level of refined mindfulness I'm, I'm bringing into this moment. Again, here and now. And so if I intend to enter this moment with a conflict-free mind, if that's my intention, and if I can actually carry it off through integration of the Eightfold Path, then I am, I am rousing in you. I'm, giving, I'm offering the opportunity for others. Who is joining so late? Oh, it looks like Lauren got bumped off. Now I have the opportunity to rouse in others this whole idea of understanding Four Noble Truths. And how do I do it? By example. And then, as the Buddha taught, and as all the other original members of the Sangha that taught the Dhamma did, it was by attraction, not by coercion. It wasn't by establishing monuments to the Dhamma, meaning cathedral, or I should have said cathedrals to the Dhamma. It was by individuals awakening, awakening, excuse me, and rousing in others. That same, and again, it's not, it's a gentle rousing, isn't it? <coughs> We're not evangelists. We carry ourselves in a certain way that maybe other people are interested in why we are, and maybe they're not. But it doesn't matter because we are not contributing to the conflict in the world because we've ended it in our own minds. This next section is understanding the allure, the drawback, and the release of clinging to our feelings. Now, friends, what is the allure of feelings? When a skillful disciple is secluded from sensuality and unskillful mental qualities, they enter and remain in the first jhana. So now the Buddha kind of teaches, how do we get out of this? How do we extricate ourselves? Through concentration. And remains in the first jhana, which is the experience of rapture and pleasure abiding in that very seclusion. Again, we do this every time we meditate. We are establishing <clears throat> seclusion on our cushions so that we can take that off our cushions out into the world, out into the world of sensuality. That very seclusion and accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. When I find that I'm caught up in my thoughts, I turn it back to my breath. I'm directing my thought. And in that initial phase of jhana, as I just begin it, as a human being, I'm evaluating my practice. Am I doing it right? Is it, is it bringing me something? Am I, uh, am I having magical experiences? That's all part of the first jhana. And every time those come up, those distractions, 
or it might be a physical sensation, I direct my thought, I stop evaluating it, what's occurring, and I direct my thought back to my breath. Establishing the first jhana, the skillful disciple, free of the affliction of their own craving and the craving of others. How, do I, how did I do that? How am I free of the affliction of craving for others? Because I've, I've established that seclusion. I've taken refuge. They experience feelings free of craving. How do we do that? How do we experience feelings free of craving? Because we take another breath. When a feeling distracts us, whatever that feeling is for, greed or aversion. Practice restraint. Practice restraint. I've recognized in the moment the allure and the drawback of that, that sensual indulgence in my thought about a feeling. And as... Dhamma teacher Kevin said, in that moment I practice wise restraint, which by the way is the next structured study. If I can finish it. Free of the affliction of their own craving and the craving of, of others. They experience feelings free of craving. Free of the affli- affliction of craving. And is, only as, and is the only skillful allure of feelings. Again, the Buddha is not saying we don't have feelings. We should understand them and not be driven by them. Continuing in meditation, the skillful disciple, with the fading of rapture, remains equanimous, mindful and alert, and sensitive to pleasure within the body. Sensitive. Again, the Buddha is saying, be sensitive to what's occurring. You're a human being. The whole point of the Buddha's Dhamma is to have a human experience moment by moment. Not yesterday and not tomorrow. And that means whatever feeling is appropriate, and there are no inappropriate human feelings. There's only inappropriate action based on those feelings. And remain in the third, uh, they enter and remain in the third jhana, which the noble ones declare as equanimous and mindful, a pleasant abiding. It's describing how we are developing a mindful presence and the quality of that <coughs> presence in the world, a pleasant abiding. <coughs> Continuing in meditation, the skillful disciple, with the abandoning of evaluation of pleasure and pain, they enter and remain in the fourth jhana, which is experienced as pure equanimity and mindful, free of evaluation, free of any eye-making. Now the skillful disciple is free of the affliction of their own craving and the craving of others. So again, you hear me say this, wise restraint, as Kevin just pointed out, is the whole point of the Dhamma. In this moment, am I in control of my mind? And if I'm not... It's because I'm lacking in a little bit more concentration and a little bit more uh, integration of the Eightfold Path. That's all. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with me or I can't do it or or the Dhamma doesn't work. It just simply means I've recognized that the Dhamma is developing within me and I need to go a little further. Now, the skillful disciple, free of affliction of their own craving and the craving of others, they experience feelings free of craving. Free of the affliction of craving is the only skillful allure of feelings. Recognize it and abandon it. Now, friends, what is the drawback of feelings? Why are feelings, why is there a drawback to feelings? Or what could it be? Excuse me. How is an aspect of my own humanity a drawback if I don't understand it? What is the drawback of feelings? Well, feelings are impermanent. They're always subject to change. So are always stressful. Again, always stressful if I'm clinging to them. This is the drawback of feelings. Insisting that my life only have the equality of one feeling, whatever I decide, happiness, bliss, security, whatever that might be for each individual. And that's the only experience I want out of my life. Well, again, you've cut off most of your life from yourself because life is stress and suffering. It's there. 
We can't avoid it. We shouldn't be preoccupied for it. We should simply be sensitive to it. And then we can experience the whole gamut of what a human being can actually experience. The subdu- and what is the release, the re- release from feelings? The subduing of, of passion for feelings, the subduing of craving for feelings, the abandoning of passion for feelings, the abandoning of craving for feelings. This is release from feelings. Friends, I say to you, any contemplatives or Brahmins who do not understand feelings as they truly are, who do not understand the allure as allure, who do not understand the drawback as drawback, who do not understand release from feelings as release from feelings, who could only understand feelings or arouse in others in accordance with what they believe and what they practice. It is impossible for them to understand feelings as feelings. So again, remember how this started. The Nagantas wanted the, um, they wanted the Buddha to, uh, to validate their feelings because that's part of their practice is validating their feelings. And he's saying they're just impermanent. They're a drawback if you continue to indulge them in that way. And again, that's most, of, most of the world is geared towards indulging our feelings and our thoughts about the feelings. But friends, I say to you, any contemplatives or Brahmins who do, who do understand feelings as they truly are, who understand the allure as allure, who understand the drawback as a drawback, who understand the release from sensuality as release, and that, that is just a momentary release that we first recognize it and we build on that, as release would themselves understand feelings and rouse, meaning rouse an understanding, in others in accordance with what they believe and what they practice. We can only bring into the world what we're holding in mind. And of course, that's true. I mean, that's just, it, it, that's just common sense. So if I'm holding in mind certain principles that are framed by the Eightfold Path, that is what I will be contributing to this moment. This is what the Buddha said. Those in attendance were gratified and delighted at these words. Liberation from the are from our reacting to feelings and thoughts. Remember the teachings on the four foundations of mindfulness, how we establish meditation practice. And again, this is another sutta where we establish concentration and now we have the ability to take it off our cushion, establish seclusion in the world, and stop giving in to greed, aversion, and deluding through the need for constant sensual fulfillment. So in this moment, I am sensitive to having a human life and I'm no longer driven by sensuality. That's liberation and freedom. That is true wealth, because now I can participate in in my entire life. I don't only have to pile up certain things that I think I need. I can live free and liberated in the world, free of any attachment. That's my second talk. Uh, let's go online as we usually do. Brian, how are you this morning? Good and I, I just uh, want to say, this, let's keep our comments. Please say whatever you need to say, but be mindful that, that it was a long suit to today. Good morning, Brian. No pressure. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I guess for me, this, this helped clarify the Buddha's comment where he says, in short, the five clinging aggregates are dukkha. And this really just walked through why that why that was the case for me, yep. and and help clarify that that connection. So thank you for the teaching. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, John. Good morning, everybody. Um, I'll I'll maintain silence this morning. Appreciate your teaching. This is really a good one. Yeah, I, I will say one thing. Th- th- this has. Uh, real application had real application for me 
observing people in the medical setting I was in, it was for, I'd say, 60% of those people, they were going to their own funeral in their mm. in terms of their attitudes. And it was sad to see in a way, you know, uh, but uh, this this is important information and teaching uh, to take to heart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for your comments, Jeff. <laughs> It looks like Anthony, is that you? You joined us. I didn't know you did. Yeah. Hello, Anthony. Hi. Oh, yeah, I've been here the whole time. <laughs> how you doing? Happy weekend. Yeah, how are you? Uh, I'm doing good, thanks. Good. Thanks, we're heading off uh, to tomorrow morning for St. Augustine. Oh, nice. I'm joining your decade. You what? I'm joining your decade. <laughs> That's the oldest city in the country, if I remember correctly. I've always liked the 60s, so, you know. yeah. I haven't anyway, gotten over I, um, Oh, sorry. Were you going to say something? No, I'm, I'm good. Didn't I just say? <laughs> I, I I appreciated the teaching, and it and it reminded me because originally when I started reading it, I was thinking sensuality just applied to sex, but that's sexuality. Yeah, this is much broader. It's an attraction to the senses, basically. Yeah, and and this understanding so that, is what we bring into all of our relationships, including our sexual relationships. Again, it's something that. You know, our our society has gotten really twisted up about the idea because of lack of understanding, and it's a it's a misunderstanding to say the Buddha taught celibacy. He never taught that. He taught how we can live peacefully within a a, a closed society such as a, uh, the original sangha, because it just wouldn't work. But he never said that people should never have sex. He said we should bring right speech, right action, and right livelihood within to that into that. So I'm glad you joined us this morning, yeah. Anthony. Good morning, Warren. I, I am too. What? I said I am too. <laughs> Say hello to Debbie, please. Hello, Lauren. I will. Thanks, John. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much, John, for that teaching. It's so relevant to my life. Um, just keeping it really short, one takeaway that I, I am hoping to explore is... is um, um, uh, something you said at the very end of how you're breaking up a little bit, Lauren. Or then detracting it from each moment with distraction. Something I, I really need to practice. I'm going to take that away. Yeah, I'm, I'm missing a lot of what you're saying. Silence that. <laughs> uh, did anybody get it? You can go to the next person. Yeah, I'm sorry, Lord. But if if uh, why don't you email me a question if you have one? Okay. <laughs> Kevin, how are you? Good morning, John. I'm doing really well. Thanks for the teaching. Um, I have two things. One is a question. So when we're talking about the senses, the Buddha also talks about it, including thoughts. Right? It's not just the five senses that we normally think, but the thinking is something that. Um, we can cling and attach to as well. Yes. Right? Am I understanding that as well? Yes. Okay. Clinging to our own um, ideas. Yeah, the ideas and just the thoughts, even though they're not necessarily coming through our five senses. So, so that's something. And then I'll just quickly share, and this is kind of something that came up during the meditation, is I had um, 
as I was just being present with things, I had this image of a cassette recorder. And for those, I'm kind of dating myself here, pre, pre-digital stuff. But in the cassette recorder, you have this point where you're recording and the tape goes back and forth and you can forward and rewind it. But I was kind of like right there at the point of the recording itself. And it kind of just was a really, uh, just the point of being kind of just really present and focused as the thoughts and everything were kind of coming through. So anyway, that was just a, a unique metaphor that I haven't had yeah. before that I just thought I'd share. Thank you for sharing it. It's, it's really amazing how something is a breakthrough of technology that they're no longer around. I don't think, can you still get cassette tapes or eight tracks? They're expensive. Yeah. They're yeah. Right? You can, but they're really expensive. <laughs> really? Yeah. The yeah. media is a fortune. Huh. Thank you, Kevin. Hello, Mateo. Hi, everybody. Hi. Um, not much to say. Like, uh, I agree what you said right at the beginning, and also Anthony, not to, to understand this, to explain very well what is means like sensual uh, reality, sensual experience. It's not just about sex, but it's like anything that we should withdraw a bit of our sense. I have a question about that. Uh, you say like uh, Gotama didn't teach that, didn't say like we should be like celibate. Do you think uh, it, there was a kind of distinction for the monastic life, or was like a generally speaking, he didn't bother with this kind this kind of issue, Gotama? Yeah, the the, um, the 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 charge for celibacy was only within the original saga, and it was just for again for yeah. practical reasons. People people join <clears throat> a, a sangha. Um, because they wanted to leave the world behind, all of the world. And certainly that was part of it. And the Buddha understood uh, how strong the sex drive was for, for people. And that because they made the decision to join a Sangha, they're also stating the most important thing for me in my life is to practice the Dhamma on a continuing basis, moment by moment. Um, and so that that's why he established that rule. But it wasn't meant to be taken out into the world as a condemnation of, of uh, sexuality because he also understood that if there was a ban on sexuality, you know, we're off this planet in a hundred years. It's, it's, it would just be ridiculous for him. But he taught to bring the Dhamma into all areas of our lives. And so uh, when our relations, no matter what they are, sexual or otherwise, if they're rooted in greed and aversion uh, and deluded thinking, they're they're not going to be as pleasant as they could be. And if we can abandon greed, aversion, and deluded thinking in all of our relationships, including sexual, they're just, they're just going to be better, you know, it's just in a practical way. We'll be present for it without the person to be different. To, you know, it, 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 we get it so complicated when it's, it's the most, it, I said it earlier, it's, the most, it's as natural as our breath, or maybe not quite, but um, to, to say that there's something bad or wrong with it is is just adding something to it that it, uh, it it doesn't have that inherent quality. It's just it's just a human function that we blow way out of proportion too. But uh, thank you, Matteo, for joining us. Dev, I think that's you online. Uh, yes, yeah, John. It is. How are you doing? How are you today? Uh, good, good. Um, thank you for today's talk. I think I'll continue to observe noble drowsiness this morning. <laughs> I'm, glad you, I'm glad you joined us as you could. <laughs> Thanks, Deb. Good morning, Becky. Good morning. Oh, that was funny. Um... 
I enjoyed listening to this sutta, and it really, like somebody just said, took you through all the steps. And in the beginning, I was a little confused by the constant use of the word sensuality. But now that I've listened to a few people, I, I have that figured out. So that's really all I have to say. Glad to be here. Thank you, Thank John. you, Becca. Yeah, the, the, the power of a well-informed and well-focused sangha. Sometimes it is just a couple of words that helps mm-hmm. clarify something for one of us or all of us. Good morning, Adam. Good morning, John. Uh, like Becky, I found, you know, my initials, I was initially stumbling over the term sensuality, but now I understand from hearing people in the Sangha and uh, reading that it's a distinction between sensuality and sensitivity, um, and the uh, alignment of personalization and sensuality. Right. Yeah. Um, So it's super helpful. Thank you very, very much. It is. Just think about what you just said. That's Dhamma that you just described. Understanding the difference between sensuality and sensitivity. <coughs> it's kind of interesting that for almost everyone, the word sensuality only applies to sex when it applies to every every aspect of, of human life. But it took me a while to, to just, you know, reading and reading and reading and understand what I'm not just talking about my own sexuality when I'm referencing sensuality. It's so much more than that, isn't it? It's, it is our entire life, so... Great understanding. Thank you, Adam. Hello, Kevin. Good morning. Thanks for the teaching, God. And Becky and Adam just took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> oh! Those before that. So it's really the distinction between sensuality and sensitivity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's human feelings and emotions, and we just have to experience them and not be attached to them. Yeah. Yeah, and, and in that way, we're living our lives. By allowing us to think and feel in this moment whatever is appropriate. The Thursday I gave a, uh, another talk on the Vitaka Santana Sutta, which relates directly to that too. And we really can't do that unless we're present. Yeah, how could we? How could I, if I'm distracted so in the pa- just, to the past yeah. or future, uh, what I'm thinking really doesn't have much relevance to this moment, except I'm, I'm acting in a robotic fashion in that way. You know, and I, I'm, a, I'm just going through the motions because my mind is somewhere else. And we, as human beings, we can function at a very high level without being present, can't we? I mean, look, you know, we've been exactly. doing it all these years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But maybe that's the problem, too, because we're, we're making uh, very important life decisions for myself, but rooted in ignorance, it can't help but affect the rest of the world. And yeah, then, so collectively, those ideas move to a certain way. We all, you know, as, as groups, associations, we decide things in a thir- certain way. And when they're rooted in ignorance... No matter how well-meaning those decisions might be, they're always going to fall into hurting someone. Again, because we can't get past that, the, the natural competitive, competitiveness of minds rooted in greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. That mind, when it manifests collectively in a society, is always geared towards continued group eye-making. And that's why, it's, you know, that's why it doesn't work. It just can't work. But it, it's not supposed to work either. There is dukkha in the world. That's what Buddha taught us. Good morning, Laura. Good morning, John. Thank you. I was wondering if you could just clarify. I think I might have taken it out of context or I didn't understand it. Um, What was actually being said about, he was talking about breaking down, or the body, the breakdown of the body and deprivation, and I kind of missed 
what that meant. I was wondering if you could repeat that. Yeah, he's also making a comment to clarify in other people's minds that we have this human life. And so when we die, he's, he's describing very directly mm -hmm. what happens to your body, this thing that I'm so enamored with. It, all it does is just rot away and it's right. gone. It, it, there's, there's no remnant of John in the world anymore mm -hmm. or Siddhartha Gautama or Laura Dillman. Mm -hmm. And so if that life was, was a life rooted in greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, that was a life of deprivation, wasn't it? Oh. But self-deprivation, I deprive myself out of ignorance of the opportunity <laughs> to live this life, to be present for it. And that's the whole point of concentration. No, there's no magic about it. Yeah. I want to be present for this life. How else can I do it? But, but to use the, um, the interpretive vehicle for this life, the one that, that allows me to be sensitive to what's occurring. It, 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 it informs and manifests all the other senses in my thinking. So if my thinking is rooted in ignorance, the information that is passing through my senses is rooted in that same ignorance. Mm -hmm. But when I am simply sensitive, no eye-making, a reference point to what is occurring, then there is, there's no conflict there. Most importantly, there's no conflict in my mind. So with the sensitivity, we don't experience that deprivation of... Yeah. We actually get to live whatever it is. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's, whether it's five minutes of a human life before we, you know, we get it and we die five minutes later, mm -hmm. like we've heard of Bahia and, and, and others. Um, Pukasati. Um, the time doesn't matter, but what is the point of a human life if it's not to actually experience it, even if it's just for a moment? You know, I remember being in, in rehab, and there was a guy to me who was so old at the time, he was 78 years old, and he had just sobered up for a week, and then he died. Um, and I remember in rehab, he said how happy he was, and he knew he was dying. In fact, you know, he knew they didn't have. And he said, I'm just so happy I had a few days of sobriety. And he wasn't awakened, you know, and, but he, at least he had the opportunity to not be wasted for the last few days of his life. And it was so important to him. That, that's the kind of urgency we should take to our own life and our own Dhamma practice, not to lose our minds over it, but to realize this is, this is my life. This is the moment of my life. Why wouldn't I want to be here? The only reason I could not, I could have for not wanting to be here is because there's an aspect of myself that I don't want to bring into this present moment. I don't think it's, whatever the, the evaluation, I don't think it's worthy or, or good enough or you know, whatever that might be, self-loathing. Mm -hmm. the, the, the only qualification I need to, be, to, to, to have this moment is that I'm here. I'm a human being. That's what that, the first noble truth begins with. Birth is suffering. By wanting my birth, my human life to be any different than it is in this moment, I'm creating stress. I'm saying I don't want this moment. Or I can be simply sensitive to it and say, well, I'm sensitive to it. This is what's occurring mm -hmm. in my life. And then the, the so-called negativities of life don't affect me because they're not negative anymore. They're just part of life. And the positive things in life no longer cause me to grasp after them. Because they're just an aspect of my life that I don't take personal either. You know, and talk about liberation and freedom. Mm -hmm. you know, where else could it reside? Great question, Laura. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Dhamma teacher Rob. Like, where do I go next? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dhamma teacher Rob. Um, 
I'll keep silence uh, for today. Thank you. Yeah, just Ram will be concluding this uh, series with the Dukkha Sutta on uh, on Tuesday. So. Good morning, Jen. Good morning. I was definitely doing some eye making at the beginning of this um, teaching because I was like imagining like how I would answer the the question that the Nagantas had. Um, how is it, how is, if my understanding of form is the same as your understanding, or your definition of form is the same as my definition of form, then what's the difference in your practice versus my practice? That's kind of what I heard in that question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, the answer that I feel like the Buddha was saying is what, well, what are you doing with that information? How are you using it to like think more about it and have more conversations with your buddies about it? Or are you developing understanding? Are you practicing jhana and looking at your own attachment to form? Yeah. Observing form arise when I pass it away and, and in a developing dispassion around that. Yeah. In that way, he's saying that you're, Practice could be the the the, the sensual distraction, yeah. mm-hmm. and I guess what he's saying to the Nagantas: it's mm-hmm. your it's your practice that you're so enamored with. That's your your sensual deprivation is lying within that because of the belief, and so it's not. And we're not just attacking so-called religious ideology. It's any any fabrication that I have about myself in the world, whether it's associated with a larger group or not, is always going to be a stressor mm-hmm. because. Because that is the allure and the drawback. Whatever I associate my mind with, whatever I identify, and it really doesn't matter. You can identify with a with a rock, and you're you know you're going to live your life as a rock. Or I can I can look at myself in the way I look at myself, and that's how I will experience my life. It's a if it's a view rooted in in lack in some way. That's my experience. And that's up to me. Do I want to live my life like that? I don't. I don't want to. You know, that was when I was a little kid. That's that was what got me so frustrated and confused, because I didn't have any control of my thinking or my thought or, or my feelings. But I was I was taught how important they are. I was taught to yeah. indulge in that. Yeah. Rather than this is my form. This is my feeling. Yeah. This is my and that's just eye making versus. Yeah. How observing form arise and pass away, yeah. observing feelings arise and pass away. And while doing that, recognizing where I'm attached to my feelings and my form and recognizing how that's contributing to stress. Yes. Yeah. And coming, just observing that whole thing. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that, that very subtle thought process is mm-hmm. what we're developing an understanding of. And it's, it's, it's not it's the orientation, from, yeah, up to feelings or reorienting your, your yeah, thinking. That's yeah, not that's being, a good way to put it. That's not being developed if you're just talking about it. Yeah, yeah, and it, 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 it's the topic again. Now, now what you're doing is just expressing your own enamoration, if that's yeah. a word, mm-hmm. with yourself and what you believe in. Okay, well, I believe in a, you know a certain non-physical destination and I found other people that have that same feeling so right. how can we convince ourselves that that's something that's reasonable to believe in rather than the Buddha said let go of all those beliefs 
and pay attention to this moment because it, all those other things don't matter. And he, again, he never said that there's nothing outside of this human life. He just said, forget it. Mm. This, you know, it, it doesn't matter. It's not relevant. It's not completely irrelevant to this moment. And nobody can help you resolve that. Yeah, and, because nobody can know it. Even yeah. the Buddhist basically said, nobody's ever gone there and come back to tell me that. You know, and I, I haven't been there yet. So don't go there. It's not part of the human experience. And it, that was his, his brilliance was to say, live your life now, because it's the only life you can live. Thank you, Jeff. Great clarity. Dhamma teacher Kevin. There's a lot I could say, but I don't think I'm going to. But I, I like what you were just talking about. That's sort of how Sariputta taught us in the Sariputta Sutta. Yeah. What are we being sensitive to? <clears throat> being sensitive to all phenomena arising and passing away. Yeah. Or being all, all realms fabricated or otherwise passing away. If he's been there or not, doesn't matter. And if the Buddha has or not, they're telling you to focus on this. Yeah. And this is the process that we've talked about all today, you know. By attaching to our feelings, by attaching to sensations, form, feelings, etc. The five cleaning aggregates, this is how stress develops. This is how we experience stress instead of doing what we do when we are in seclusion. As Sariputta says, we, we train ourselves in this way to be yeah. sensitive to all of it occurring. And yep. all of it. as an Arahant, we have to offer something and give something up. And if we're attaching to all these fabrications, we're just acquiring. We're not letting anything go. So yeah. that's the real question that we can be ultimately honest with ourselves. Yeah. What are we letting go of? Yeah, Feelings, without discounting thoughts. or dismissing this moment in my life. Because it's mine. Right. <clears throat> then you experience your life. Yeah. In a peaceful and calm, conflict-free <clears throat> way. Mm-hmm. Moment by moment. You know, right there. And we, we should, thank you, thank you. Though. We should really, I mean, that's what we're, that's why we practice. You know, it's not to be better or to know something that other people don't know. Or to go somewhere yeah. that's not yeah, that, in that's, the experience of living 20, 30, 40, 60, 80 years on this planet. Yeah, or I mean, I my initial allure. Sure, if you want hundred. It was a drawback to, to take the extra Eastern water. thought was the idea that I could bilocate and maybe live forever and you know read people's minds and I mean I thought that was the whole point of human life. When it and I didn't know my own mind, but I wanted to read other people's minds. I mean, it's just you know. Um, so you found out what was in those other people's minds and yeah, I didn't want to go there. You know, let, me, let me figure out what's going on in my own head. Thank you, Kevin. Now I'm a teacher, David. Come on, yeah. Go back to what Kevin said, and I love when Kevin's here because he's such a good teacher. He's talked about wise restraint and that awareness that Jen talked about and the sensitivity versus sensuality, and yeah. that's what that point of contact is. Is that wise restraint, and yeah. you know, I, that, that's what I'm taking away today, and that, that's that freedom. It is. Be able to just be sensitive. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you, David, for for saying that. Yeah, I mean, it's a whole. It, it this no this sutta also helps clarify the idea that many people that are new to practice. Uh, get caught up in it. It's the idea of isn't isn't this self annihilation? When <laughs> and it is. It's 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 annihilation of a fabricated self, allowing for a sensitive self to be present in the world. And so we again you can see how 
it's not the point, but how this does lead to the end of conflict in the world, or could. Um, it's not a prediction or anything like that, because that would make it salvific. But in my little world, I can end conflict. That doesn't mean that I'm, I can change people around me, but I can stop conflicting with them through the way that I think about myself. It, and that's the ultimate liberation, the ultimate disentanglement. So, uh, any other questions before we end? Okay, uh, we'll finish with Meta as we always do. And again, just a reminder that Ron will be finishing up this series on Tuesday. Um, oh, we're going to go out to to um, breakfast. Some of us, and you're all invited. Anybody wants to join, including online, you're going to have to take a quick trip here. But uh, where are we going? Do we know? Love and oven or, or the love bridge? Could do love and oven. Love and oven? Okay. Yeah, yeah we're going to the love and oven. Not too busy. <clears throat> All right, we'll finish with meta as we always do. So, again, take a moment to become mindful of your in breath and your out breath, and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on meta from the Karaniya Metta Sutra. <clears throat> This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another, even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class today. Thank you, Johnny. Peace. Thanks, John. Thank you. See you all. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.